Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, or your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. I'm joined today by my good friend and real estate lawyer extraordinaire, Mr. Shale Rothman. Now, Shale is the managing partner and founder of realestatelawyers.ca and is a long-standing member of our RAIN legal faculty. He is an accomplished real estate investor and a mentor to many for more than a decade. From straightforward real estate buys and sells to complex and very creative strategies to get deals done, Shale is able to provide the expert insights and guidance his clients are needing to get deals done. He has over 35 offices across Ontario, including free remote worldwide signing services. Shale's office is able to assist with the closing of real estate transactions anywhere across Ontario. And in this conversation, you won't be able to help but recognizing Shale's abilities as a very progressive entrepreneur and business owner. Shale is skilled at looking into the future and seeing what the gaps his clients will need filled. Listen in. So much to learn. You're going to enjoy this one. Shale Rothman, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. So great to have you on the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. You know, we were just talking uh, before we got on. Uh, you and I have known each other 10 freaking years. It's amazing how time goes by so quickly, isn't it? And we haven't aged a bit. Exactly. You just get better looking with age, right? <laughs> That's right. Like fine wine or something. We just get better with age. Exactly. Well, listen, Shale, you know, we've got a lot of things that I want to talk about today, you know, most of which is about your journey to creating real estate lawyers, an amazing, amazing firm that you uh, 
have focused on supporting real estate investors and doing what you're doing, growing your business. It's been uh, amazing to be kind of on the sidelines watching it unfold. And uh, let's get into the details of it. So, you know, let's, I always just want to start with the guests that don't know Shale Rothman, aren't familiar with real estate lawyers. Tell me a little bit, when, you, when somebody says to you, what do you do? Besides, I'm a lawyer, what do you do? I am a husband, uh, 13 years, mother of four kids. Uh, that takes up a huge amount of my time. And then, of course, for me, the most important thing is uh, family, friends, um, and community, and making sure that uh, every day is lived to its fullest. It's not all about the office. You have to make sure that you take time for the people that are most important that you're even working for in the first place. So when we, you know, when we first met 10 years ago, the Real Estate Investment Network was looking for some legal kind of uh, support in terms of what we were going to bring to the members around leases and agreements and that kind of stuff. And that's actually uh, how we first met. You know, we saw real estate lawyers, you know, so that was 10 years ago. But how long has real estate lawyers been along? How long have you been on the journey of being, you know, and growing your business? After I finished uh, Arkling at RBC Insurance, uh, they didn't have a hire back program. So you literally did your 10 months of Arkling and it was kind of see you later so that they could keep the program going. And uh, my great uncle at the time, Ruben Parnes, who's the Parnes of the Parnes Rothman, uh, he ended up looking for about a decade to retire. So we come from a long line of accountants in my family. And of course, I'm the lawyer. So he approached me and said, listen, I know that uh, you're going to be finishing your Arkling and you're going to be becoming a lawyer. Have you ever thought about being a real estate lawyer? So I said, to be honest with you, my vision was always the corporate and commercial mergers and acquisitions, downtown Bay Street. I never even contemplated being a real estate lawyer, but my background is business. So I said, you know what? Why don't I come and I'll work with you for six months because um, you're going to turn off the lights in January anyway. So why don't I come and see what it's all about? You can teach me the ropes. If it works, fantastic. If it doesn't, I'll just move on. No hard feelings. So at that point in time, I came in. So it was him and one law clerk uh, that worked for the firm. I ended up loving it. So it was one of those things where it was very much interactive. It was a family business. Um, I saw the vision of where I could expand it. So, And even today, we run a business that happens to be a law firm, which is real estate. So it's run as a business, not as a law firm. And I just saw the vision of where I was basically in a niche market that was run by a lot of sole proprietors who didn't really have any business background. They were lawyers just running their businesses. Uh, and I saw a huge opportunity in order to expand the business and do something that could give back to people at the same time. So, you know, that that's interesting, you know, the, your entrepreneurial journey. So, you know, often people stumble. It's kind of an accidental, you know, I, I often say, you know, I became an, I was an accidental entrepreneur. But, you know, in your case, you come by, quite honestly, being with the family, but when you, with a family business, but when you stepped in and started doing that, did, was that entrepreneurial spirit, like, did it kick in right away? Was there any, like, were you questioning, I should have gone corporate? Was there a time where you, you said, nah, I don't, I don't think I'm wired for this? Did you, did you question that along the way? My, my original path, I was never even supposed to be a lawyer. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> that, that's the truth. So if, if you want to go back even further, when I was about 18, I was living in Ottawa uh, and I was working with McDonald's. And to be honest, my, my vision was actually to 
continue to expand with McDonald's and eventually own my own franchise and have and build the business with multiple things. Because I traveled the world opening up McDonald's like to Malta and other places. And when I came back, that was my vision. And I kind of, similar to yourself, like things just take you in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point in time, I came back, I was management. I said, I'm going to do an executive MBA program at Queens. I was 20 years old at the time. And I got through the entire process, got to the final panel. And they said, unfortunately, we can't justify you um, with all these other executives because you don't have a degree. So at that point, um, because I had gone to Carleton University for commerce, um, I had actually dropped out after my first year to pursue the McDonald's career. And then I ended up saying, okay, well, I spoke to my parents. My mom used to work at head office uh, in McDonald's, and I, was, I valued both her and my dad's opinion. And they said, go back to school. What's the worst thing that can happen? Right? You can always just jump back into it. So then I started evaluating, well, what, what comes natural to me? What do I enjoy? And it was always law and business. So I went to Carleton University for an undergrad in law with a minor in business. And then went that path in terms of going to, to law school, um, which is a, a completely other story uh, where I went for that aspect. Um, but then when I came back, so it's just really, really interesting where if you ever lock yourself into a position saying, this is where my career path is going to go, I can pretty much guarantee that's probably not where you're going to end up. <laughs> uh, even with the business, I try to run a business that's just very, very flexible um, and constantly changing. Because I know that what is today will not be there tomorrow. Well, so it's it's interesting that you go back to when you're 18 years old and the role that you're playing, even with McDonald's, but you know, in a corporate gig. But even back then, you're entertaining the thought of of being an entrepreneur, of owning your own business. And right. do you kind of attribute that to? There's nurture and nature, right? So, do you think that your parents and your family overall that was part of what they kind of instilled in you or, or how did, you know, do you recognize where it came? Because I think so many, I find that so many individuals I talk to, you know, they consider I should, maybe I should do my own business. Should I open my own business? I've had this jobs. Like there's this big question. I also talk to individuals who the, I mean, they came out of the shoot. I'm going to be a, you know, I'm going to own my business. Like I'm going to have a business. And how was it for you? Was it something that was always kind of inherited in you? Do you think you recognized it early? The, the leadership aspect was always there right from the very beginning, whether it be playing sports or whether it be in business and training people, et cetera. I love the training aspect. I love of creating new things, building things from scratch or enhancing with different people's ideas. Uh, so for me, it was always, um, even in thinking, oh, I'll work for a big law firm downtown. Well, there's just something in your gut where unless you are the one who can control things and direct where you want to go with it, um, I would almost feel like I was in an imprisoned, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, the biggest thing was trying to build something that had value uh, without, with the same time still being able to have a family life that was the most important to me. So it, it was a blessing in disguise that I, I went the route that I did. Now, do you, do you have siblings? I have one older sister. One older sister. And uh, did she go on an entrepreneurial path as well? Did she grow up to be a lawyer? What, what did, did, was it a similar? Was there kind of any kind of parallel she, to that? She went uh, the technology route uh-huh. and uh, she's an enterprise rep at Zoom no. right now. So no. things are looking okay for her. <laughs> yeah, the, the things are looking up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully she got some stock options along the way. <laughs> be good exactly. for her. So, so let's talk about, you know, the, the whole world of, you know, being in, a lawyer in the real estate world and 
when you stepped into the office with, uh, I think you said your uncle, and you know started on that in that direction, what got you kind of heading in the world of real estate? What was the you know what was the tipping point, or what was the fork in the road that had got you heading in that direction? With real estate, love the fact that it's very hands on from a Monday through Friday. So my weekends, I knew I could always be with family or do business development because the government closes at 5 p.m. Um, and the banks close at 5. You're always dealing with clients. So you, you, you're dealing with people pretty much at the happiest times of their lives, whether they're buying a property for the first time and they're experiencing that, they're selling in order to move to a different type of product, uh, they're getting a divorce and they're just happy that they're moving on. No matter which way you're looking at it, you're kind. Of, you're not dealing with the family law matters. You're not dealing with those elements. You're dealing with people who, while they may be stressed, but they're dealing with usually the most expensive assets that they have, and they're leaning on you for advice and guidance. And it's it's one of those. Uh, you become a family lawyer, right? Like, there's many times where people will say, "Hey, I have a criminal issue. Or I have a litigation issue, and they have no one to go." because the only lawyer that they've ever interacted with is their real estate lawyer. So I kind of play that role for the family where I'm kind of the quarterback to saying, even though I don't have the expertise, let me kind of put you on a different path or have you thought about this way to handle the situation? So you kind of become a mentor to people for all aspects of life. And one of the things I love is that you're dealing with generations of people. If you end up running a business properly, you're dealing with the grandparents and then the kids and then the, the children and the great-grandchildren that you're able to experience the family's uh, path of life. And it's just one of those really um, remarkable scenarios. Becomes very generational. So you have the opportunity in, in your case because, you know, you know, like you say, it's generational. I mean, you watch a family go through all the things that they go through, and which is interesting because I'm observing, you know, right now as uh, Stephanie's mother recently passed away and, uh, you know, going through and working with her lawyer and her accountant, it's been many years, but there's been all sorts of things along the way, you know, to your point, buying houses, starting a business, doing all these things that her legal counsel has supported that family around as well. So that's kind of an interesting, and you're, you're one of your highest values is family. Is that not correct, Shale? Because I know that uh, your existing, like your family is a big deal for you. Oh, for sure. If I if I didn't have to work and I could spend full time with all my kids and my <laughs> wife, that would definitely be the preference. Uh, hey, so how old are your kids now? How old are your kids? You got four. My oldest is 10, yeah. 8, 6, and 3. Wow, that's so awesome. So I, I know we, we diverge, but, you know, when you talk about generation and, you know, when I think about what you and your family in terms of your uncle and then you taking the business. And I, th- I, I always love those stories. I think it's just a really, really cool story. It's a legacy that goes on, uh, you know, a long time. Yeah. So basically what ended up happening is I, one, I wanted to run my own business, but for me, it just didn't sit well that someone would work 40 years of their life growing a business and that at the end of the day, they would have to turn the lights off. So part of my business plan was how could I create a business structure for other lawyers that were in circumstances such as my great uncle, that they could become partners of the firm. I could create an earnout where they could have a smooth transition, wouldn't have to worry about their files, and that they could get rid of all the administrative functions, basically finish their career just practicing law and still be able to earn money after they retire um, as an earnout 
and still be able to not just turn off the lights. So that model worked uh, very well. We've uh, taken over numerous law firms uh, with that type of model. And uh, it was successful in the sense that we just said, there is no right or wrong in this situation. What is your dream scenario? And how do we sit down and work towards making that dream scenario work for you? So we even had a, a lawyer where his dream was take over all my files. I don't want to do anything. I just want to make money off of it. And I want to go ride my motorcycle. And we said, that's your dream. Let's make it happen. So uh, we've seen the full spectrum. And at the end of the day, it's just trying to make it work for everybody. Now, it's, that's an interesting uh, you know, perspective. Like it's a, I love that model, that concept of the model. Let's dig into it a little bit more because you've got a partner with uh, Eric, right? Correct. Yeah. And so... And the real estate lawyers, you now are 35 locations. I don't, I, I, uh, or 35 30, offices. Yeah. What do you refer to it? How do you call it? What do you call so, it? Well, they're, they're, they're offices, they're locations. Yeah. Um, we just opened up another one yesterday in Niagara Falls. So it, it's constantly changing. Eric handles that one. So it's a moving target. Yeah. Um, but basically, it started with one office in Markham mm-hmm. um, with one lawyer, one law clerk. And I was losing a whole bunch of business to downtown Toronto because mm-hmm. I would work around the clock and say to clients, if you need me to come in on the weekend to sign your documents or whatever it may be, no problem. But then it would still be, I need to pick up keys. So I don't want to drive all the way from downtown to come pick up a key in Markham. So it was just feedback. And that's how we operate today. It's okay, well, listen to your clients. Well, what is it that you want? Well, if you had more offices that are closer to me, then I would be able to use you. So then we opened up 30-something offices at that time. So that was our key thing, opening offices strategically all across Ontario. And then we started getting more feedback from clients. And we say, this is fantastic. Um, We are where you are. How can we still make it better? And they said, well, it's great that you're working nine to five. You have all of these offices, but my mortgage broker comes to my house at night. My real estate agent comes to my house at night and on the weekends. Why can't you? Like basically, you're the last part of the process. And then now I have to go nine to five and take time off work. So that was the most difficult part of the business uh, because we had to buy vehicles, retrofit the vehicles so that they would have scanners, printers, and everything else in, in the actual cars. And then you don't know these things, but come wintertime, ink freezes in the car. So how do you get around all of those circumstances? So it took a couple of years to perfect, but then we ended up having a fleet of cars and then operating 7 a.m. to midnight, seven days a week in order to customize a transaction for a client. So when do you want to sign? Where do you want to sign? Where do you want to pick up your keys? Any of our offices? So we have investors in Rain who live in Ottawa and bought in Hamilton. So sign at Saturday morning in Ottawa at your house and property manager picks up keys at our Hamilton office. So we, we tailored the deal uh, for the client. And then of course, COVID hits. So COVID is one of those things where there, you can always find a silver lining in everything. Um, and COVID helped basically launch our video conferencing. So we went from having to have in-home service, which we still offer, um, to me coming, flying back from Florida, where I was supposed to be on a Disney cruise and canceled that one quick. And then uh, we were in a situation where I said, okay, I have two weeks to launch video conferencing software that we've been working on. And now all of our transactions are done with video conferencing, enterprise-grade signatures that are all digital. So it's just one of those evolving things where with feedback from clients, you can kind of say, well, it doesn't matter what I think. What is the client experience that you're looking for and provide it? And then the business grows from that. 
You know, it's so great. I mean, that you pivoted. Many businesses did and many businesses did not. Your, your, you know, your innovation is around, you like technology. You've, you've embraced technology over the years is my observation. You're, you know, definitely your benchmark is really high for how you deliver and what you deliver and your thought process about serving clients is a, a lawyer's office. Cause I don't think lawyers traditionally don't think, I don't know a lot of other firms like you that think like you. I don't know. I have a lot of individuals as lawyers that think like you. And, and, and I mean that in, in the most complimentary way. I mean, I think that you're very innovative, you're very progressive and that shows up in the business that you do. And even what you just described, I mean, is there anybody else with a model that's similar to that? Did you, did you, I'm just curious, did you model yourself out there's something that was existing or did that just, kind of come to you that you needed to do to serve and fill that gap? No, we basically every single week, my business partner, Eric, and I work late one night a week because we know during the day, it just gets away from you and we need quiet and be able to fi- uh, focus on business development. And for me, at least once a week, we just say, okay, well, let's go back in time. And if we were to start the business today, what would that business look like? So we were in Markham. That's why we moved to Vaughn, because we said, okay, we're looking at a map. If we started today, would we be operating in Markham or just have a satellite office in Markham? So we said, there's no way we would pick Markham because we have cars going everywhere. So we want to be on the highway. So we picked Highway 400. Same thing with technology is, does this work? Do our current systems talk to each other? So if you stand still in a business, um, to me, you're dead. At the end of the day, you constantly have to be evolving. You need to know what the competition is doing but we don't compete with the competition. So there's no one that does what we do, um, which means that you have to compete with yourself and you have to push each other, which is why having a partner like Eric is so amazing for me. Um, we've known each other for decades, but we challenge each other. So when one's trying to slow down, the other one's pushing the other one to move forward. And you need that because otherwise, if, you, if you're in a standstill and you're complacent with what you're doing, you're gonna get ruled over by somebody at some point. So for me, it was always evaluate the business, give the people what they want, and try to think about things that they don't even understand that they do want and see if you can provide value-added services for them. You know, I think there's, um, you know, there was a quote I, I want to believe, I want to say it was with, with uh, Steve Jobs. I think Ford, Ford made it was a, was a really great quote, which is, you know, if I listened to what people said they wanted, I, I, I would breed faster horses, something along that line, right? Exactly. And, and Steve Jobs, you know, his quote was along, you know, people don't know what they want. You have to tell them what they want and show them what they want. And, and that's how that goes. And, and, and I find even in, um, you know, in 35 years of business, it's more and more, I just, you know, I try, you know, I've tried the whole thing of communicate better with your clients. And that's great, by the way, but so many, so often clients don't know what they want. And it really is up to us as, as business owners and entrepreneurs to actually see the gap that they're not even recognizing themselves sometimes. I mean, in the moment, they're at the effect of things. So they say, I need, in your case, I need somebody to come to my house at 10 o'clock at night when my mortgage broker is here or my realtor's dropping off keys. And you okay, that's a consistent gap that we recognize that we can fill. And how do we do that? So that's, that's a great thought process. Well, our biggest problem was trying to even get the feedback, right? Mm-hmm. So what we ended up doing is we, we would interview real estate agents because they would be the ones who would be providing feedback because the client would give the feedback to the agent, not to the law firm. So we ended up giving clients $100 off 
as a credit to their legal fees for any type of feedback. It can be your service is fantastic or I didn't like this part of the experience. And we said, put it on social media. The world can see. We don't, that, that's how we run our business. It's transparent. And then we monitor it every single week going, okay, well, is there a theme in the comments that are coming through? So are the people looking for in-home service? Oh, you know what? There, there's enough people who are commenting on these things. Maybe I should start figuring out a better way to do it. So it's constantly um, having a look at those aspects, but also from me, I'm very much a finance guy and what's happening in the world and analyzing those types of things. Um, so I'm always trying to be ahead of things and from an economic standpoint saying, even though no one has a crystal ball, where do I anticipate with what's going on in the world? Where do I think things will be? No matter when that might be. And how do we position ourselves to take advantage of technology, um, downturns, supplies, whatever it may be, um, even COVID. Like I saw what was happening in China. We ended up ordering another 60 headsets, I think about in February, because what happens if this comes and it hits us at some point? And if it doesn't, let's expand and we'll expand into the headsets, right? Or we'll sell them. So it was always trying to be ahead of where we anticipate things will end up going. You know, that, well, it's like being a real estate investor, you know, and, and being a research company that, you know, Rain does education and research, of course, in terms of the economic fundamentals, we, our job is to look into the future. Now, I know prior to COVID, you know, the existing management team, you know, there's a couple things that you made, which are really points that you made that, you know, I so hear what you're saying. I look at our existing uh, management team, you know, Jennifer and JG and Bonnie and Cheryl, and and it's like, you can't, it is so incredibly important to surround yourself as a business owner with with really great people. And, uh, you know, at any given point in time, having a team of people that are driving, helping you drive and energize the business to move forward is incredibly important. And, and it sounds like with you and Eric and, and, and likely who you attract as a team, you've got that part of it. You see that, you recognize that. And I, and I think that's so valuable as a lesson for entrepreneurs. You know, if you're the smartest guy in the room, then you're in the wrong freaking room. You know, Absolutely. you, you got to be the dumbest guy in the room. And that's where you want to put yourself as uncomfortable as it might be. Or sometimes you take a hit to the ego, but it's, it's really, really uh, beneficial to do that. Now, the, the other part of this is that when you look at the pivoting, given what's happening with COVID and pandemic, and and you know we were two years ago, three years ago, we were talking about technology in in real estate, and we actually came out early. We were too early with it. It was like people couldn't wrap their mind around blockchain. They couldn't wrap their mind around what that would mean to the real estate world, and yet it's happening right now. And uh, you know, at the summit that will be in November, depending on what the timing of this being released will be, but we're going to be talking about the future of of real estate, the technology has actually arrived. It's amazing the transactions that can happen with, with, with real estate. And the whole technology aspect of it, COVID, this whole pandemic has just amplified the need to embrace technology and take it on. And you guys have done that in a really significant way. Yeah, for, for us, we're, we're looking forward, we're creating our own software. Basically, we, we never thought we would get into the software business. Uh, but all of our main leading edge technology that we have, nothing talks to each other. And then you would use something and say, well, why is it done this way? There's just a better way to do it. And then you give your feedback to the companies and they don't make change. They're just in the standstill because that's how it's always been. So I just said, we don't have a choice. We're, so we're doing brand new conveyancing 
platform that's talking to cash management software where we're integrated with every single bank to new ERPs. Like we're the next year onward is just going to be a very exciting time for the firm. Because for me, the, the hardest part of the business is the communication aspect. So especially when you have a transaction that's so important to individuals, they want to know everything now. And I'm sure you've seen it with your business before. You could end up emailing somebody. They get back to you by the end of the day. Not a problem. In the world we live in today, it's I emailed you two minutes ago. Why haven't you responded? So with the new system, basically, we want to go to more proactive as opposed to responsive, where if you have a transaction and I received a statement, it's automatically notifying you that we received the statement the moment we saved it to the, the file. Or you paid your deposit. Wouldn't it be nice to know that your lawyer, even though you have a receipt, has $20,000 of your money in their account? Well, it automatically confirms that we have that. So um, basically, it's, it's a situation where we're always trying to be ahead of the game. And as you mentioned, people don't know what they, they don't know. So if we can make a better experience for people, a better experience for our staff, because I'm very mindful. My life is much better if my staff is happy and uh, you get better business and more people coming through the door. Um, if their experience is better. So I'm very mindful that from the bottom up, if everybody is happy, they have the proper technology and tools to do their job, my life becomes much better. That's for sure. You know, we talk about technology and, and I want to spend a little bit of time on it because I think it's important for our listeners, especially those that are, you know, in business and, and looking at what they're doing to really consider what's happening right now. I recently read a book uh, called the price, of, uh, the price of Tomorrow by, I think it's Jeff Booth. And he talks about technology. It's very, very interesting. And he talks about, you know, he, he's actually looking at it from what it means to us economically, which is he sees uh, a very deflationary thing starting to happen, which is because technology reduces costs significantly and, and it, mean, it needs less people. And it, there's a whole, you know, he's got a whole thought process around it, but I don't want to spend any time on that particular topic. Where what's interesting, Shale, I think from it is what you talked about in terms of technology. And that is also is that you cannot bring old technology forward. You can't keep building it on old, old platform, on an old platform. At some point, you really have to take a look and do exactly what you're doing forward thinking. And what is technology going to do to support uh, not only your clients, but to your point, to your team? How do you make their job easier? How do you make, and I don't want to say easier as in, People are lazy. How do you make them more efficient, more effective? Uh, how do you support them in, you know, in achieving more, which then generates a result, which is cool. I'm getting this shit done and I'm getting lots of things handled. And, and so I, I really love the concept of that technology and that what you're bringing into your firm, I think, is so, so ahead of the pack. Well, listen, at the end of the day, I was listening to your podcast. And again, congratulations on 100 episodes. So <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, where you were talking about success. Mm. And I have very similar uh, views on that because you're either standing still doing nothing. And in terms of measurement of success, for me, it's more of, well, the bar should always be moving. As soon as you get to a certain level and you accomplish that goal, you say, okay, well, what's next? Mm -hmm. So when you have that entrepreneur mindset, it's about the journey. It's not about actually getting to a specific spot because you've already moved that bar forward, right? So I, I, can't, I can't actually imagine any period of time in my life where I said, okay, I've hit the finish line. Because before I even got to the finish line, it's already been moved again in order to go to the next step, right? So, so for me, that's how I look at things is that 
success for me is, am I happy? Is my, my family healthy? Am I able to do the things that I'd like to do with my time, which is the most important? Um, but that bar is always, in my mind, it should always be moving to the day I die. It'll, it'll never be one of those static scenarios. When you look at though, when you, I want to talk a little bit about your kind of your philosophy around your business shale. I think I'd really like to spend a little bit of time there with you in terms of, you know, you've got Eric as a partner and you've known each other for a long, long time, but how do you interact as a partner? What makes him a great partner? What makes you a great partner? So from a partnership perspective, I'll just give some context to it. Uh, we went to law school together. We did undergrad together. We traveled the world together. Um, so my partner, I had an enormous amount of trust in Eric to begin with. Uh, we had a spreadsheet. Everything was to the penny with respect to expenses, um, which money is a big part of any partnership and trust. So we know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And he was working in international litigation. I was supposed to be the corporate lawyer and I took over the business. And it was always our thought that we didn't care what business it was. We just wanted to do business together. Mm -hmm. So I ended up contacting him and because he was out in Edmonton at the time. And I said, listen, at some point, um, I think I can make this business work. And when I think we both can eat, then I'm going to come calling for you to come. At that point in time, he said, fantastic. Flew him in. He came back to Toronto, where he's originally from. And it was New Year's. And we said, I think we can make this work together. So at that point in time, I just, I said, I need to make sure we're both on the same page because this partnership will never work if we're both doing the same thing. So if you're going to join the firm, I want to manage your expectations that I am handling front end and operations and you're handling back end in terms of IT infrastructure, the backbone so that we can actually grow because if we're both doing the same thing, we're never going to do anything. If we're both doing deals, we'll never grow this business. And for him, just like myself, it's whatever it takes to make it work, that's what we're going to do. So even today, that's how we operate. I do the front-end operation, he's back-end operation, and we collaborate together for the vision of the business and new technologies and everything else we want to launch. So as long and we both hold each other to a very high standard. So there's no such thing as not being a deadline. There's always communication. Uh, we have our own private boardroom in between us. So his office is connected to mine only through a private boardroom that we're constantly using with tons of technology. We have three enormous screens where they're whiteboards. Our entire wall is one big whiteboard that we can brainstorm. So for us, it's always about you have an idea, put it on the board. And then when we meet, we're going to go through our list and we just hammer things out. So for us, the productivity and the time that we have, we're constantly utilizing the limited time that we have to maximize our time. So it's not a, let's sit, what do we want to talk about? It's, well, we got these five items on the board. Let's tackle these and put a game plan. And what are the dates? Who are we going to get involved? It is constantly, and it's a weekly basis. So you're never standing still. There's always that next step to make things better. You know, I've learned a lot over the years with different partners that I've had. And some been very successful, others not. But what I do come to the conclusion for me without any hesitation is that partnerships have to be values-based. If you do not share common values, then shit hits the fan every single time. When you reflect on your relationship and your partnership with Eric, 
Do you recognize that concept like of having very, very common values? And I'm just talk, talking about moral values. I'm talking about values overall. Do you recognize that? Have you, have you, do you have a conscious thought behind that? We mirror each other very much. We complement. So we're not the same, but we complement each other in, in a whole wide variety of areas. And that is what makes it work. We're best friends first. We're partners second. Our families are very close same type of kids. We're literally neighbors. So I moved to the same area as him as well. So our lives, they're very intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the value system and the trust system that's involved with it, um, it's kind of the where we go when we go all scenario. And I know that no matter whether it be business or personal life, I can always have my partner to count on, um, which is incredibly important. I, I've Never do I have to be in a situation where I have to question his word or whether it be financial or otherwise. And to me, that's what makes partnerships work. Um, I'm very reluctant about getting into new partnerships with anybody for that very reason. Just sitting in my chair, you see a whole bunch of the good, bad, and ugly. And uh, I've been able to learn from other people's experiences. And that's something that I hold very, very tightly with respect to uh, partnerships, business, um, and being very mindful of where things can go. You know, I think, you know, the reason I shine such a light on it is that for listeners who are in going or thinking about going into business, who are are in business, who are thinking about partners, and it could be a joint venture partner on a real estate deal, by the way, depending on the relationship that you have, is having a values-based conversation or, uh, you know, stepping outside of of your own values leaves you out of integrity. And that will ultimately, that will wear you down, that will break you down. And so, you know, and so, you know, it's, it's rare to come across uh, partners like you and Eric, you know, the partnerships that you and Eric have created. And that's why I want to shine a light on it. I think there's so much value and lessons to be learned in that. You know, you're, it's interesting that, you know, being a lawyer, you see the other side of the equation. You know, you see the partnership breakdowns, you see the breakups, you can see how messy they can get. And I'm sure that you can identify even if you're not voicing an opinion of it, you're also identifying in your own mind where you see that breakdown occurring and, and are applying those lessons. Not, not unlike me and my podcast, you know, having great <laughs> conversations with guys like you where I'm going, ah, I'm, you know, I learned so much. I can't not kind of absorb some of the wisdom that comes from guests like yourself in terms of running business, which is my passion. And how do we support our clients in being freaking amazing, hitting their goals and do it in a really fun and, and meaningful way. So uh, I think it's just such an important lesson for people to get in this case, Shale. No, for sure. And it's also taking action. It's one thing to listen to a podcast, have a mentor and give, they give you information, but you also have to take action upon it. Yeah. Um, information is, is fantastic, but if you don't act upon the information you're getting and really soul search and evaluate yourself, no one's perfect and just say, okay, well, listen, these areas are, I'm not, I don't excel at. So can you work on those areas or find someone else to do those for you while you can focus in on your strengths? Information, uh, my favorite quote, right? If information was the answer, we'd all be billionaires with six pack abs, right? So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, so uh, it isn't about information, it is taking action. And, and so when you think about, you know, your own, how you assess yourself, do you spend a lot of time in reflection or a self-assessment of your leadership qualities? Do you, do you actually study leadership or, or do you just kind of go with your gut on it? A little bit of both. I would say most of it is gut, mm-hmm. uh, but it, I, I read a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts and YouTube videos and various things where I can get different perspectives um, because I don't think one one way to look at 
things is always the best alternative. So I, I like to see all different sides. Mm-hmm. Majority of the time I'm using my gut because whenever I go against my gut, things usually go the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So that's usually the, the starting point. And then for me, I always believe that people know themselves better than I know them. Mm-hmm. So when you're in a situation where, like, for example, one of my partners, Mark Wiseletter, fantastic from an education perspective and speaking and seminars and webinars and all these things that he does so well, why not put him in that niche? Why are you in the back office working deals when I can hire other lawyers who actually excel at doing that? What would be your dream in terms of just on a daily basis? Well, yeah, you know what? I never thought that I could do that. Well, anything you can do anything. Right. So if you're in a situation where you're running a business, there's no such thing as you're in a cookie cutter mold where only this can be done. It can, anything can be done. You can make it whatever you want it to be. So just because everybody else does it differently doesn't mean you have to follow their lead. So can you look at something and say, what do you excel at? And let's just focus in on that. And we'll find somebody else who excels at the things you don't. So for me, it's all about feedback. It's not about having the best idea. It's who has the best idea, who has the best vision and collaborating and implementing it. Um, I find that if, if you always have to be the leader who has the best idea, it's never going to be successful. Well, that, yeah, and that goes back to, you know, the, the whole conversation, you know, of, you know, surrounding yourself with way smarter people because sure. you just don't have all the ideas. You can't come up with it. I know for myself, this many years in business and at this point in my life, you know, at 60 plus years old, I'm so happy that I'm surrounded by, you know, some pretty young and enthusiastic people because, I, you know, I, I can't keep up with what's going on. I'm not interested in it. It's, but they're, they're inspired by it. They, they love it. I, I, I have a role in, in what I play as CEO and, and an owner of a business, but ultimately it serves me to step back and let a younger enthusiastic team also drive, you know, ideas with the business and direction of the business. And that is something that I think that business owners overall, I mean, you're dealing with business owners. Can you recognize, you know, Shale, if you're giving somebody advice, do you see some of those gaps or do you see, I don't want to call them mistakes, but do you see some oversights in business that way? You can see a huge difference in terms of how things are presented to me, for example, on a deal as to whether you have a seasoned, experienced business person versus someone who is holding themselves out to be a real estate expert and it's their first deal. Mm. So within seconds, just the way that it's even presented to me, I can tell you, or the way that they speak to you, I can tell you their expertise and realistically where things will end up going on that transaction. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, you know, as, as coaches in, in the business, of course, we can tell where people are on their journey of real estate investing, not only by the questions they ask, but also by the questions they don't ask. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting window into where people really are. Let's talk a little bit about real estate and and what you're seeing, uh, you know, with real estate investors, you've been part of the rain community for a long time. You deal with, you know, tons of rain members. And what are you noticing about real estate investors these days, like today, given what's going on in the world, you know, compared to even a few years ago, are you seeing a, 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 a more sophisticated group of individuals emerge in the real estate market, a less sophisticated? What are you seeing kind of from a lawyer's point of view of what's happening in the real estate investment world? What I find is really interesting being in the rain space for 10 years now is that it's the exact same information being provided to everybody. And it's amazing to see that the systems are so specific and easy to follow 
and you have a scenario where you have very successful people who have the systems, they tweak them to make it work for themselves, but they follow the guidance of what has worked for those before them. And they say, how do I make this work for me? I have my systems in place and each deal, they just go through the motions on the exact same thing and they apply it. Mm -hmm. And they're very successful and I've seen them grow all the way through and go, and it's one of those really rewarding things saying, wow, they really got it. And then you have other people where they got the exact same information, they're in the exact same room and they haven't pulled the trigger or they have, they're trying to pull the trigger and they're just spinning their wheels and they don't understand why they're not at a hundred doors, right? <laughs> so um, what is, it's really, really remarkable in terms of that. And it's not just an entrepreneurial mindset. It's, it's taking action and applying things um, and not taking the easy way out. Building businesses like Rain, building businesses like realestatelawyers.calop, it doesn't happen overnight. There's a lot of work and a lot of collaboration and everything else that goes into it. But it's a grind that you just keep moving and pushing things forward as opposed to just looking at it and go, well, these guys did it. I can do it. And it should just automatically happen overnight. <laughs> so, if you, so for me, it's just very, very interesting seeing uh, people coming through the door because you can kind of, and politely, you just have to kind of move them in the right direction going, okay, well, have you spoke to your accountant? Okay. Now you're talking to me. Do you have your documents in place? And just trying to, to streamline it even further for them, just going, okay, well, just here's your little task of what you should do for this deal. Yeah. You've already agreed to it and it's not documented. Well, how do we kind of fix that for you? And don't do this again in the future. The amount of times that I've had to joint venture a deal after they closed a transaction oh is incredible. Oh my gosh. Um, so it's one of those things where, especially from a rain, because you guys offer so much that if you just follow the systems and you network with the people around you and their experiences, you can do something remarkable. It's just a matter of applying it, right? Well, well, Shale, you're a smart dude. So if you can help me crack the code on, uh, <laughs> on that one, because <laughs> I've asked myself the same question. You know, I've been part of the Rain community 20 years, and, yeah. uh, you know, I've, I've literally watched Rain members and, you know, people, you know, individuals in the community who have, I mean, absolutely hit it out of the park, just created this, you know, amazing financial outcome and dream and they've gone full-time or they haven't, you know, whatever the, and then to your point, you know, there's others in the room and they're hearing exactly the same thing, but they, they don't move forward. And, uh, you know, is, is often as we say to people own your needs. So in other words, whatever you need, let us know and let us see where we can direct you. Let us see where we can support you. And, and that is an interesting, um, I guess that's the difference, you know, when you look at the dynamic of human nature and, and those that are driven to, uh, you know, achieve that goal, achieve that outcome versus those who want to talk about it, but never quite get there. And they can't see that the only thing in their way is themselves, you know, and, I, and, and as, a, as a coach and as in the business of education and, and the things that we do. Uh, I don't, I, I haven't, I haven't cracked a code on how to articulate that one. So, you know, one day maybe we'll figure it out. We, we have a lot of conversation about that as a team. We go, how can we inspire? How can we guide better? How can we deliver better on supporting people to do that? And it's interesting is that uh, many of the Ray members we have, of course, they go on to deliver education. You know, it's, it's in some regard that have gone on to do that, but I think they bump up against the same, the same challenges we do, right? doesn't matter where you go, there you are. And, uh, you know, you're either going to take action. You're really inspired to achieve that goal or, or I guess you're not, I don't know the answer to that one. 
No, but listen, everybody has time for what's most important in their lives, whether it be watching Netflix or going out and trying to accumulate <laughs> properties. There's always a priority on your time. Right? Yeah, there always is. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, I want to go back in the years because, you know, Shale, there's, there's, a, there's a part of just, you know, how you show up in the world and, and how, you know, do you have a, a, a powerful mission statement or what, what kind of inspires you? I mean, you've made lots of money in your life. You're building a great business. You know, you've got your family. But what is the inspiration for or what's behind doing what you do? What keeps you getting out of bed in the morning? What keeps you going? Family always gets me out of bed in the morning. That's because um, the kids are young and they're going, because she's, get out of her. <laughs> she's up early, I tell you. <laughs> but for me, it's all, it's all about creating unique experiences for my family. And it's never been about the money because I, I'm a firm believer that if you create a business that runs well and you provide an excellent service that people need, the money just flows from it. So for me, it's all about my kids are young. I want to make sure that I'm there during their early years. I want them to experience things that maybe I never even experienced and find the unique things in the world and share those experiences with them, whether it be building a tree house with them with zip lines or teaching them different trades that I know that I enjoy doing just to, to spend time with them and also teach them at the same time. And then of course, it's just making time uh, with my wife. Like we're constantly having date nights at home and making things work where uh, she's my best friend, my partner. Like it's just one of those things where I don't have stress at home. I can honestly say I can't even imagine time where I have stress on the home front so no matter what happens at the office, it's my happy place. I come home and just everything kind of washes away. And it's one of those experiences where if you can have that release, which hopefully is the home front, um, it's just such a wonderful experience because I do what I do at the office in order to be able to spend the time at home. And uh, it's very rewarding. It's, it's one of those things where no matter what happens, the experience of the kids and their, they have so many firsts that to be part of those firsts and not be working till 10 o'clock at night at the office and missing everything, I, I wouldn't change anything for, for those moments. The, um, so that's, you know, I think you make such a great point and, and I'm blessed, you know, Stephanie and I have an amazing relationship and we always have, we challenge each other, but you know, there's, I mean, our relationship is, you know, key to our life. I mean, it's, there's nobody I'd rather be with and we have fun and we, do all the things, you know, like it's, it really is remarkable that when you have a great relationship and not everybody does, but in the world of relationship with your wife, is that, you know, once again, that's something that is, is conscious, it's intentional. And how did you get to a place where you're communicating well, where that relationship with your wife is, is what it is today? I mean, was it just by fluke? You guys just like hang out, it's all good. Are you, uh, you know, are you challenging each other? What does that relate? Cause relationships so important. And as you know, and as I know, is that, you know, behind every good man in business, there is an amazing woman, uh, generally, or sometimes vice versa. But the point is, is that what, what is it for you, Shell? I'm one of those very, very fortunate individuals where it's one in a trillion, where right from day one, it just clicked. So whether it be interests or family or values, there's pretty much, well, not movies, but other than that, um, there, there's really nothing, no topic that we can say, okay, well, when it comes to a value perspective that we're not completely aligned, 
um, whether it be building a house or trying to pick materials, like we can go out and, and furnish a house probably in 20 minutes because you like this. Yes. Like it's just, there, there's no stupid conversations or fights over the little things. Um, it's always about larger things and family and values that we spend our time and we don't sweat the little things, which I can honestly say I can count on a hand how many times we have an argument and yet it's, it's just done. Like you deal with it and you move on. Yeah. It, there's no lingering things that will cause additional stress down the road. And it, it makes a huge, huge difference to have a life partner that's by your side. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish everybody could experience that. You know, there's, um, you know, you brought up the conversation around, you know, you mentioned values again and, and, and because of the coaching that I do and, and Stephanie, and I launched a, a, a I don't want to call it a coaching program, but we're, we're doing some work in a program called shift, which is really a values based conversation. Now, only because you brought it, you, you know, said values with your wife, were you conscious of your values early on, Shale? Was that, was a values conversation something that you were aware of, or you were just so clear on who you were, who you wanted to be, how you wanted to show up? You know, do you ever, was it, was it, it was always instilled with me. My my dad was always working hard. He's an accountant and would work long hours. So my mom spent most of the time with my sister and I. Um, and for her, it was always about family and the the core family unit and values and respecting people and that everyone should be treated equally and giving people the opportunity to speak their voice and actually listening as opposed to having to always speak to be able to absorb what people are saying and not judge until you have all the information because just because you have one side of it there, there's probably an equal or more powerful version coming on another way so um, my mom definitely instilled a lot of those type of core values of course as a kid you never really appreciate those things. You never even understand that they're instilled sure. in you. Uh, it's only when you, in my mind, I've become a father and now I start thinking about these things for my family and my kids um, that you start looking at the world from a different lens. You know, the reason it's, you know, for me, such an important conversation is, you know, I've had many lessons learned, but the, you know, the values conversation, you know, within some of the programs that we run you know, with Rain or just Rain members or Elite 52 coaching, which we did, we have values conversations. And I'm always, I don't want to say surprised, but, it, you know, it, it it is interesting to recognize that many people don't even know what they're really, what their true values are. You know, what are your core values? And what I get in this conversation, Shell, I had no idea where these podcasts are going to go. So sorry if this is hot topic, but, you know, ultimately you talk about your mother's, you know, you know, instilling in you, your, the values and, and, but you're still your own person. You know, many people live a set of parents' values that they don't really agree with or they don't align with. And, and that's where some, some challenges, you know, people face some challenges in doing that, but you're still very much, you show up as very much your own guy, your own business guy, your own father. Like you're, you're a very individual and you're very clear in that. And that shows up even in your language and how you view the world. You know, you're, you're not carrying, you're, you know, you're not, you're, you're, you had a great uh, upbringing and your mom spent time doing that, which is a great message for any parents out there is to really pay attention to the values that you instill in your children. But you have to be aware of them. And you had the, that's, uh, I think it's such a great, great, it's cool how you view it. So let's talk about, I want to talk about more. I know I'm jumping around all over the place uh, here, Shale. I want to go back to conversations about what you see the difference in real estate investors 
what is the one, you know, or what is one, two, three, five things that you see that separates, you know, those that are successful in real estate investing to those that, you know, are challenged or, or can't seem to pull it off. And I mean, beyond just taking action. So number one would be systems. Those individuals that actually have systems in place and follow the systems on a per transaction basis, I would say they have leaps and bounds of more success ahead of them versus not. And those who have teams. So those individuals who think that they're in it alone, always one way or another fail. And what I mean by failure, and because there's different definitions of that, it would be even if it's a scenario of not being able to accomplish goals in terms of how many properties, or you're spending way too much money, or you've incurred so much more stress in your life and time than you should otherwise have done. Any one of these type of topics where you're not learning on the next transaction to fix what you've already could have done, to me, that that's just not those that you're just setting yourself up for failure, right? So if you end up saying, okay, well, what went wrong on this last transaction and how do I make it better for the next? If you had that mindset on every single transaction, you'd only get better and better and better. Those individuals who say, I was told to buy a property in my own personal name and you know what? It's my first property. I'll worry about it when there's five properties. Well, how much money did you spend in land transfer tax and rollover fees and everything else where you could have just done it properly from the beginning? and created a structure and a system in place, but you didn't want to spend the money on the accountant. You didn't want to spend money on the lawyer. You, you didn't want to spend the effort to go find a mortgage broker who specializes in investors. You just went down to the bank and signed a piece of paper. So a lot of it is just, you have the information because it's been presented to you on a silver platter from Rain saying, this is what has worked for other successful people. It's, and again, I know you said it's not the action part, but you have to do something with the information mm -hmm. and you're taking action one way or another, you're either doing it or you're taking action not to do it. So where I find that people can really make huge leeway is really evaluate what your strengths are, find people who can take, tackle all of the weaknesses or the bullshit that you just don't want to even touch. Okay. And then you have more time to do what's most important in your life. And if you can create a system for a business that is going to be simplified, that you're not going to be stressed out and that you can actually enjoy doing, whether it be real estate and it's boring, it's okay for it to be boring. It's supposed to be boring. But if you now are doing things that are so much of a challenge that you hate doing, you're never going to do it. So you need to find those individuals to do those things that you don't want to do. Otherwise, you're either going to lose money or you're never going to end up buying a property. Well, you're right. I mean, there's, there's a, there, you know, the systems and processes incredibly important. You know, there, it is about taking action, but it's also about taking the right action. And, and the right in action means not cutting corners. And, and that I think is what sometimes happens is the grind gets too heavy. There's too much, there's too much detail to your point. If you're not detail oriented, then that will really land as heavy and you will cut corners. You will try and work around it. You'll put it off until, you know, another day that you never get around to. And uh, that'll always come back eventually to, uh, to bite you in the ass. And, and I know myself is that, you know, I'm, you know, we're working on a multi-unit deal in right now and we're, we're looking at CMHC financing because it's the right 
strategy, blah, blah, blah. But my gosh, the paperwork is a grind. And if, you know, I, I think about how uninspired I am by the volume of shit I've got to deliver. And, and if I didn't have a bookkeeper, if I didn't have an accountant that I could reach out to, if I didn't have, you know, a lawyer that I could, you know, tap, you know, and I still have to bring it all together, but man, oh man, it is painful. And you have to really, for me, you have to connect to the outcome or, or I would just shut down. I'm going, I, I'm not, there's nothing fun about that part of doing the deal. Like for me, yet others get pretty lit up by it. They, you know, they love spreadsheets and they'll put it all out there and they'll lay out a plan and they'll go, we're going to execute against this plan. I go, good for you. Uh, just right. t- tell me what to do. Right. And that isn't it. So that's, that's what I see is people take shortcuts. Cause, and I, and I, and I say that cause I see it in myself. No, but again, you, you understand your strengths, you understand the things that you don't like doing and you lean on your team in order to do those things. So you can spend your time more wisely on the things that you actually enjoy doing. You talked earlier about, um, and we talk about shortcuts, and you talked earlier about joint ventures because it's a very, very common, you know, raising capital is a very common thing in the world of investment real estate. Um, it's necessary to grow a portfolio, and yet you uh, experience often, and I've seen it many times, you far more than I have, is individuals that don't put that agreement together beforehand. So the problem that I see with that is you should have an agreement in place, a master template before you even have a partner. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't even understand your own agreement, what are you selling to somebody? Mm-hmm. So it's like you, you have a product. What are you selling? Well, I don't have a product, but I'm selling it. It just doesn't make sense. So here you're selling your real estate and you're selling an interest in real estate that you haven't even purchased yet. Well, you're holding yourself out to be a real estate expert. Wouldn't it be nice to know what your agreement is, how you're going to protect both parties, how things are going to actually be implemented, the splits on that deal. You come across so much easier to say, yeah, I'm taking 50% of this deal. Why? And you're just laying out on a silver platter for this individual. This is how you're protected. You have a notice on title. You have a trust agreement built into this. If there's a cash call, if there's a buy-sell provision, you just present yourself with real-life experience and real-life examples without the legalese that they go, wow, this person really knows what they're talking about. I can understand why they're asking for 50%. Where if I'm doing a joint venture partner with you and you end up saying, I'm taking 50%, I say, okay, well, how am I protected? Well, I don't know. We'll speak to the lawyers. Or, okay, well, where's the document? Okay, we'll worry about it later. Guess what? Not only am I not giving you 50%, we're not even going to be doing a deal together. So the, the fact that these mm. deals are even going through is an testament to that individual and the relationship they have with that individual. But if you have an agreement in place and you can protect everybody and show them that everything is transparent, my word is my bond, but I don't need that because I have paper to protect both of us. It just removes everything and it, it, it lays a new foundation for the partners. And again, you want to have such a good relationship with a joint venture partner that that agreement is hopefully never even looked at, or you're doing so many deals with them that you're only referring to it to see what the split is in order to split the money that you've made or a cash call for repairs. That's what you're hoping it's for. And of course, on a rainy day, you'll have a document that tells you how you've both agreed to deal with a specific circumstance. 
you know, the, this is an important topic for a number of reasons. You know, we, by the way, I mean, we launched our raising capital program, uh, I don't know, a few months ago, uh, almost a year ago, I guess now we've, we've, it's online. It's, it, we put a whole learning management system, all the templates are there. And what you talked about is all there. It's all available. And, and I say that as a bit of a plug for the program because, but it is stellar. Like, I mean, it is absolutely stellar in actually how to raise capital, the paperwork to follow it through, the whole trail, how to actually negotiate and why you would negotiate more than a 50-50 split and why you're valuable as the operating partner if you're not the capital partner or vice versa if you're the capital partner, how to negotiate the deal. And so all of that is available and yet people seem to get caught in the throes of it. So the reason I spent a little bit of time on the shells because you've seen it and I've seen it is that people get caught up in the romance of the deal and it's all fun and, you know, there's money involved and we're going to buy this house and it's going to buy this building, whatever it is. That's all good. And then life happens and we talk, a joint venture agreement, it doesn't have as much importance in the first few months or even the first couple of years where joint venture agreements really start to show up is down the road. And number one, life happens. So is there an incident? Your, your partner goes through a divorce, there's a death in the family, there's a, a transfer to another country, there's, a, you know, there's all sorts of things that happen, and if you don't have that written agreement, you get into trouble. And here's the worst part. Not only do people not necessarily have an agreement, the worst part is, is you actually pay a lawyer to draft an agreement, and then you don't sign them. <laughs> okay, we we have all sorts of scenarios around it. Oh, you, know? you have no idea. <laughs> I don't. I don't, and, I, and it's probably safer that I don't. But I always right. I always appreciate what you bring in terms of the experience because of just how much of this work that you've done, and having worked with you for so many years, or you know, and 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 listened to many many of your clients who just shout you out all the time that you're that how amazing you guys are is you yourself in you talk about how do you make yourself more efficient and understanding that you're actually guiding you're you're actually guiding people what you need to do to make this transaction work and make this deal right and and you're actually telling people get this joint venture agreement signed make sure you have this agreement in advance i mean you're you're doing all of those things as you direct your clients as well well remember things don't have to be more difficult than you make them so when you end up having a firm like myself where we're actually giving checklists and we're giving guidance, you know what? It's there for a reason. Follow the checklist, follow the guidance, lean on the advice that you're getting from Rain or others because people have done it before you and those systems have been tweaked in order to use best practices that those who don't follow those systems, those who don't follow those checklists, well, guess what? You're going to have more stress at the very end because the deal will get done one way or another but you're either going to pull your hair out at the 11th hour, trying to get a mortgage and rushing things, paying more fees, not being protected without a joint venture agreement, et cetera. Or you follow the systems, you do things early, you lean on your team. And of course, everything goes smoother. And then if there is a hiccup at the end before closing, well, now you're only focusing on one thing as opposed to the entire transaction trying to get it done. When we talk about business and entrepreneur, when you look at the real estate lawyers and, and the business that you have right now, Shale, you know, you're young, you're enthusiastic, you're, you know, you have a vision, but tell me a little bit about your vision. Do you see, like, when you look at business, 
do you, what's your vision for the business? You got, you know, 35 or 36 locations, whatever it might be. Do you see 70? Do you see a hundred? You know, do you, do you actually map out a a vision? Do you have a vision of it or are you kind of looking at it incrementally and say, okay, this is what I'd like to achieve this year and, and, and not as long-term? Well, again, it goes back to my original comment, which is, uh, you need to really look at yourself and compete with yourself but before and the success always moving the bar. So before it was always, we want to be the largest real estate law firm in Ontario. And then we accomplished that goal. And then the next bar was we want to be the largest in Canada. And then we accomplished that goal. So now it's okay. Well, when you're the largest, well, at that point in time, then what? So for us, it's just competing with ourselves and new technology and always staying ahead of the game because you have to be mindful of that just because business is operating the way that it is today doesn't guarantee it's going to operate that way tomorrow. So at any point in time, the government can change rules. They can do lockdowns. They can allow title insurance companies to close transactions. So now my competition um, is no longer a sole proprietor, but a multi-million dollar corporation that I'd be competing with. So we're, we're also very mindful of the fact that how do you compete with the future and how do you compete with yourself if your colleagues don't want to innovate? So unfortunately, well, it's pros and cons. So the Apples of the world and the Googles of the world where they have competition, where they're competing with them or they'll acquire, if we don't have that competition that is innovative, then we have to compete with ourselves. We have to look at different technologies, different industries saying, it could, if it did it in that industry, it could happen in ours. So how do you say, what could possibly doing? I know it doesn't exist today and the law doesn't allow it, but it changed in the States. And we're usually about 10 years behind in the States for those types of things. So if it's happening in the States and it happened here, what impact would it have on the business? How would I have to change today to compete in that environment? Or how would I have to structure myself for down the road? Because I won't be doing this my entire life. And eventually if I want to sell a portion or all of the business, what would it look like in order to piggyback off to something else that I'd want to do, which who knows in the future where things will go. Um, You weren't always envisioning you're going to be in rain. There were other things (laughs) that you were doing. And then all of a sudden, I'm very mindful that what the path is today could take me on a path completely in a different direction. But while I'm on this path, how do I maximize all the goals, efficiencies, and rewards that that path can provide me? Yeah, I love that. When you look at the team that you've built around you within the real estate lawyers, do you have a fundamental philosophy or do you have a mission for the business? Do you have a, a how do you, you know, like, do you define the culture and then, you know, uh, help support people in that, in, in, in being able to be part of that culture, that environment? Do you have a philosophy around that? Uh, well, number one, whenever we interview people, um, most of the interviews are done with Eric and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a very, we want to make sure that there's no, obviously when you get into a business, you don't know exactly how it operates until you've actually spent time, mm-hmm. but we want to ensure that we're not sugarcoating anything. Mm-hmm. So it's, we want to make sure that you understand that you're in a high volume transaction where you have to be providing amazing service. It's the most stress situation for most people. And they're going to be leaning on you. And if you're not into technology and things changing rapidly every few months on you, this is not the place for you to work. So we, we unfortunately try to actually provide the worst case scenario and the worst working environment possible. And if you end up saying, you know what, that still works for me and I like that vision, 
and I like change, then, okay, we'll draft a contract for you to join this. There's a part of that that I think you make some really, really great points around that and which is being, you know, not sugarcoating it. I mean, because when you think about what what you just said was, think about the stress on your client's point of view. They're going to bring that forward into what they're driving you to do. And you're never going to be moving fast enough in their world. So that does definitely add pressure. And then, of course, there's a lot of costs to uh, making a mistake. Uh, an oversight on your part uh, can uh, you know, definitely bite somebody in the ass in the future. So um, lots of stress in that situation. So creating that environment is important. So you know, as we come down and wind down, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is a part of my podcast where, you know, Shale, I just like to have some fun and ask some questions. You know, the rapid fire questions that we, you know, you know that you can, uh, you can blow off. You can think about, they're never all that rapid fire, by the way. <laughs> but I want to talk about a little bit. Uh, I mean, you talked about growing up, you were athletic. You're still, you know, you still keep yourself in pretty good shape. Do you have a, what, do you have a, a daily routine, a physical, mental, uh, spiritual routine that you go through? Uh, do you have a daily practice? My daily practice is being woken up extremely early by one of my kids, mm-hmm. uh, traditionally my three-year-old daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we we go and we bond and we watch a show and we end up having vitamins together and <laughs> whatever it takes from there. Yeah. Um, so it, traditionally it's that and me rushing home in order to make sure I'm there for the kids uh, to put them to bed. Um, on the weekends, uh, because I moved to uh, an acreage property, so I'm always, especially when the weather is good, I'm always trying to do some type of woodworking or anything else with the kids and trying to teach them new skills and enjoyments and having fires and s'mores and all that jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's how I get my exercise now. I used to play uh, hockey, but uh, the back is not holding up the greatest right now from uh, earlier injuries in my career. But, sure. uh, but other than that, for me, I always like getting my exercise by doing things as opposed yeah. to hitting a gym. Yeah. You know, since I moved out to the acreage a few years ago, um, I still spend time in the gym cause I've got a great gym out here, but, um, ultimately I love getting, you know, my workout, you know, on, on the acreage and, uh, love doing that kind of stuff. Do you have a favorite book or a book that you like so much that you gift? Uh, no, I, I have been getting into a lot of audible books, yeah. uh, just cause I find that by the end of the day, I'm so exhausted that if I can lay in bed and just have it, uh, mm-hmm. reading to me. So, mm-hmm. um, lately I've been listening to the Jim Rickards, um, series, yeah, yeah. um, with respect to where the markets are going and things like that. So we'll see what the next set will take me. Uh, Jim Rickards is a, an interesting cat. Uh, I really, really enjoy his stuff. Um, we were talking briefly about it, but, uh, George Gammon is like a cool cat. I really, really For dig sure. his style. He's a smart dude, you know, like, and his delivery and the way he, uh, presents is so good. So Those if, three easy steps are fantastic. Three, yeah, they are. Aren't they? <laughs> and he's, and he's funny too, right? He's got a, a, a really uh, cool sense of humor. Okay. Right. Uh, question, uh, iPhone or iPhone or Android? I know the answer to this question, but iPhone. I, yeah, of course, of course. Um, I'm not even going to comment on that. Favorite inspirational quote. Do you have one? No, I don't actually. Hmm. Okay. That's, that's allowed. Do you have a favorite swear word? Probably fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's still the most popular. It's the most effective. Yeah. You know, I always go back to it myself. So if you weren't a lawyer right now, what do you think you'd be rather be doing? What profession? It, I definitely would be in business of some sort. 
uh, and something it would be in an industry that is cutting edge that I could be part of it on its infancy stages to watch it grow. So whether it be the something with like an e-commerce feel with blockchain and some type of not a Bitcoin, but some type of digital coin aspect, something where the world is just ripe for that reset change that I would I would be in that scenario. You're a technology guy. You really dig technology. I mean, that's that's kind of always something that I've I've observed in you that you uh, you 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 kind of embrace it. For me, I love technology. Yeah. I love the fact that you can take something from nothing and then um, even with limited resources, be able to compete with the big boys. For me, that's it's a game changer. Yeah, for sure. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? You did a good job. You did a good job. Your room, your desk, your car. What did you clean first? Uh, probably my desk. Are you a bit of a neat freak at all? Are you? What's your, what's your OCD? Uh, for me, uh, yeah, I would say I, I'm definitely. I, I like things to be a certain way, um, especially at the office. It's just I have my systems and I like to stick to them. You like? To, yeah. <laughs> give me give me my systems. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite tune? No, I just, uh, other than techno and that, I, I'm very eclectic across the board. Favorite movie? Ooh, anything with a twist at the end, whether it be Sixth Sense, um, Shawshank Redemption, yeah, yeah. Um, Seven, anything that is just, wow, I didn't see that coming. Didn't that, see that. I, that, love I love those. It. I love those too. That's great. I thought you were going to say like Frozen or something with poor kids. No, I, I thought maybe. can't watch that anymore. <laughs> can't, can't watch it for the hundredth time. Yeah. And uh, Shale, not, you know, last, what are you grateful for? I'm grateful for my friends, my family, uh, the opportunities that have been uh, presented. And uh, again, I, I don't take anything for granted. That's wisdom. So uh, like you, I'm grateful for all of those things. I'm grateful for uh, having gotten to know you over the past 10 years a little bit and a little bit more today. And uh, certainly grateful for having you on the show today, Michelle. So uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All the best. Thanks, Paul. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.